This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Stop. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I was around nine years old or so and was at my mom's friend's house, because they were having a little get-together. My mom's best friend, at the time, decided to go get something, which was at a house nearby, down a dirt road, 
In the woods. My mom's friend decided to take my friend and me with her. I wish I had never gone with her. We rode with her, over there and when she got out, my friend and I stayed in her car and waited for her to come back. After sitting in her car for 10 minutes, we decided to get out, to see what was taking her so long. When we did that, she told us to get back in the car, so we did. As it turned out, she was buying weed, so we weren't welcome in the house. So, my buddy and I got back in her car and waited for her to come out. They had a lot of bulldogs at that property. The dogs had all been barking, like crazy, and then just stopped, all at once and went into their dog houses. That's when my friend and I saw this thing that looked like some kind of werewolf, coming from behind the car. We froze and just stared at it, as it walked by. Wow. It looked so demonic. When we saw it, we ducked down and laid on the floorboards. We laid there for what seemed like forever, until we heard my mom's friend hitting on the driver's window, trying to get us to let her in. I guess it left when it heard her come out of the house or something. I'm a 32-year-old lady, from the very northern tip of West Virginia. Most of my life has been lived in Hancock County. When I was little, we camped in tents, walked everywhere, hiked at parks, all that outside goodness. In my teens, we started going to state parks, to ride horses. I've been to Tomlinson Run, Beaver Creek State Park, Salt Fork, Raccoon Creek, and Vista Park, I think that was the name. We had a friend who was constantly inviting us to ride on people's land she had received permission from. I'm well acquainted with the local wildlife. I've seen all the major players, including koi dogs, and bears, and can identify most sounds in the forest. I love watching nature documentaries. I was looking to become a vet, so I studied a lot, on animals. Drawing and painting them got me very acquainted with animal anatomy. Was I ever into cryptozoology? Yes. I was a dino-crazy, little girl. My one babysitter had Reader's Digest Mysteries of the Unexplained. The thought of a plesiosaur, in Scotland or an apatosaurus, in the Congo, was just mind-blowing. Later in life, I started looking at it like folklore. It was interesting to read the accounts and learn the theories behind what people were seeing, but I believed in them as much as a folklorist believes in dragons and trolls. I didn't have any interest in Bigfoot and I'd never heard of dogmen. I never had interest in looking, nor did the thoughts ever cross my mind. It seems I didn't need to go looking, they found me. We moved to the farm when I was about 10. Mom's dream was to have horses and she was finally able to live it. The farmhouse was haunted, mainly by the former residents of the house. I never felt threatened by them though. It's a little unnerving to have two men talking and moving the couch you're sitting on. Or should I say, it sounded like it. No one was home, no media was on, and yet, I was hearing two men, talking about how they were going to move the couch, and where, and the sound of furniture being dragged, right from under me. The land, itself, had its share of strangeness. Most things were benign though. We just shrugged and carried on. I honestly hated our woods. Anywhere else, I'd freely hike, but even in the yard, sometimes I felt watched. Heck, 
Sometimes I thought something was staring in our windows. Now that I think of it, we did have things slam into our trailer. I'd think it was a horse that had gotten loose, but when I'd go out, to investigate, I'd find nothing. I'd chalk it up to a deer. I used my horse's breeds for their names, rather than think up names for them. Anyone who knows me knew my horse's names. I was 18 to 19, in this encounter. By this time, we gave up on cows, I hate, hate, hate them, and just had the horses and chickens. Someone knocked on the door, at 2 a.m. I'd only been asleep two hours, but years of conditioning had my heart pumping and my mind clearing. Someone knocking that early meant trouble. It usually meant horses or livestock had gotten out. I wasn't disappointed. Our neighbor said the horses were in his yard. My mind wasn't totally awake, so I didn't think to ask which yard they were in. My stepfather came out, asked what was up, and told me they were my horses, so deal with it. Mom was working. That was nothing new. This lot of horses had three expert escape artists. I had the routine down. It was pretty dark out, but I did have some moonlight, to help. The security light only went so far. Then of course, it shut off, after so long. When it was cloudy, you literally had to watch that you didn't walk off, into the ravine, it was so pitch. I was naturally in a foul mood, cursing my horses, and wondering if some drunk had gone through the fence, again. It happened a lot. As I got closer to the brown barn, I realized a horse was flipping out. It was running back and forth, squealing, and carrying on. I went in and grabbed the halters and leads. I paused for a moment, to see if any other horse or horses had replied to the horse I heard squeal. That would give me an idea where the other horse or horses might be. There was no reply. That was odd. I was thinking, crap. They're on the other side of the hill. It was the only reason in my mind they wouldn't be replying. Let's just say, when they followed our cut trails, to the other side, it took us an hour to traverse through the woods and lead them back. And even with two guys, on a four-wheeler, and my mom, that was a freaky trek. I felt like I was being watched and followed. Maybe, it wasn't paranoia. So, the land is set up like this. The brown barn was connected to a small pasture, about half an acre long, which then connects to a seven-acre pasture. Pretty much in the center, on the outside edge of the large pasture, was an old, white barn, that we turned into a run-in. I decided to tackle the horse still in the fence, so I could bring her down to the small pasture, to keep her from escaping too. Maybe, the others would follow. I had to walk clear to the other side of the pasture, to get to the panicking horse. It was my mother's psycho Appaloosa mare. I tried to catch her and nearly got trampled, a few times trying. She was frothing at the mouth and her eye whites were really showing. Was I alarmed? No. As I said, psycho. I noticed my other six were across the road. They were standing in a tiny, little fenced-in area, under a spotlight. They were standing motionless and not touching a blade of grass. I was wondering how the neighbor managed to herd them into that tiny fenced-in area, with that tiny door. Three of those horses were over 16 hands tall. One was a draft horse cross. The doorway was actually small enough, 
He touched both sides, going through. My thoroughbred mare took me two hours to corral, the last time she got out, much to my frustration, she was an awesome jumper. So, a stranger rounding them up and putting them into a tiny yard was mind-blowing. I've had horses since I was nine. I'm 32 now. I've had ponies and horses. I've had Appaloosas, Arabians, draft horses, quarter horses, walking horses, saddlebreds, thoroughbreds, mustangs, foals, geldings, mares, and geldings that still thought they were stallions. I've had a lot of horses, from all walks of life. I will tell you, they consistently do not like to be crammed into tight spaces, especially, not in a group. I had two severely abused horses, I was rehabbing, a thoroughbred that actually had PTSD, and a racking horse, that actually took me three years to touch, without some sort of a bad reaction. They did not like being in stalls, and all but one were mares. Mares are extremely moody and two of mine were particularly vicious, to those they didn't like. My walker mare only liked three other horses. She should have been kicking the crap out of the others there. Mine also didn't like to be under lights, when they escaped. They avoided them like the plague. And not eating grass, that was over ankle deep? That was unheard of. They were silent and dead still. My neighbor came out and told me that they were like that when he found them. He asked me if I needed help, but I said, no. My thoroughbred and racking horse mares did not like men. I told him I'd take them out, one at a time. I took one halter and lead and threw the rest outside the gate. I put the halter on my gelding and opened the gate, to lead him out. They had other plans though. All six came out, as a freaking unit. They were literally chest to butt, crammed together. My gelding and my Welsh mare had their chest pushing against me as we walked back to the brown barn. Normally, they did not do this. I wouldn't usually allow such bad behavior. We were on the main road, which I did not like. The speed limit is only 35, but people go 60. So, I tried to lead them through the large pasture gate. They wouldn't even go on that side of the road though. I was a little unnerved, by their behavior. So I lead them down to the brown barn and they went in. They were skittish though, picking at the hay I threw out, walking around restlessly, sticking to the barn like glue, and eyeing the upper pasture. I rationalize it by thinking, it's the appy flipping out, that's unnerving them. And why hadn't she come down yet? She had to have seen us all walk down. I rushed to the gate, between the little and big pastures, out of habit. I didn't want the herd to go back out, into the big pasture. I didn't have to worry. They didn't follow me, like they usually did. The gate was wide open, but the appy was still running and squealing, back and forth, in the same area. I started to go get her. Now, the neighbor's security lights didn't really light up my pasture. The road was higher than my pasture, so it was cast, in a shadow. I could make out her shape and some detail though. She took off, at a panicked gallop, swerved sideways, and jumped the stream. When she landed, she nearly landed on her face. She caught herself though and took off, at a dead gallop, again. I ducked behind a stump. If she would have hit me, I would have been dead. I went back and chained the gate. I decided to forego looking her over, 
until I got the halters and leads. She was too hot at the moment. I decided to walk on the road, instead of through the pasture, again. The pasture was uneven, unlit, and full of springs. Sometime, during this, clouds had taken over the sky. So there was no moonlight, to see by. The spot, on the road, where I was at, was paved and pretty well lit though, my neighbor was paranoid as mentioned. I had almost gotten to the white barn, when I got this sudden urge, to stop and look at a very specific spot, in the pasture. I would like to say, it was instinct that told me to look, but usually, I'd scan the woods first, to see what was watching me. That's usually where the watchers are. Instead, I just flicked on my flashlight, right on a certain spot. It was extremely close to where the mare was flipping out. I saw red eye shine. My first thought was, why in the world would a deer be there, with all that chaos? I was feeling a sense of extreme dread and didn't know why. Besides, it being where my horse was going nuts, told me, something else just wasn't right. I then realized, where the eyes were, relative to the walnut trees and my racing barrels. See, the road is above the pasture and the walnut trees were right at the same elevation, as the road. The pasture itself is sloped, to deal with the runoff, from the road. The barrel, it was next to, was on the low end of the incline. The barrels were white, so I could see a dim lighting, from my flashlight, on the one it was next to. This thing was too freaking big to be a deer. I was frozen, standing there, watching it. I just had this feeling, it was evil and that I had to keep track of those eyes. It was watching me. It slowly blinked a few times. It also looked over, into the woods, above the pasture. I know you ask your guests if they ever feel there are other ones out there. Well, let me tell you, it crossed my mind. With a sinking stomach, I flashed my flashlight over the woods, to see if I would catch eyeshine. I didn't see any though. So, I went right back to the eyes. They were still there. I flicked back and forth, making sure nothing was sneaking up on me. I don't know how long I stood there, watching, frozen. Someone could have come around the bend and hit me, with their car, I was so focused. Finally, it started to move off. It glanced at me, sideways, a few times, only one eye. I think it went into the copse of trees, around the creek. I heard nothing. That wasn't surprising though. The horses were still restless and making noises. I stood there, a long time after, looking for eye shine. I was wondering if it could have been a bear. I didn't think so though. The eyes were consistent, in height, until it disappeared. Bears are clumsy, on their back legs. On this uneven, inclined ground, I have no doubt a bear would have dropped to the ground, to go on all fours. Even the rear up and drop down behavior bears do, when they're trying to see something, wouldn't work. We had one cross our pasture before. He made a lot of noise, going through the woods. The horses settled down quicker with the bear. I was almost to my neighbors, at this point. I considered leaving the couple, hundred dollars of tack, at his house, halters and leads aren't cheap. I had no doubt, if I left them there, they'd be gone in the morning. My mother would be pissed. So, I darted over, grabbed them, and ran like a bat out of hell. 
I know, I know. I should have left the tack. I also know, you're not supposed to run, but I couldn't even conceive what I had just seen. I got into the barn, threw the tack down, and hung with the horses. I wasn't going to go back up that pitch black driveway, on foot. I figured, with the horses, I'd have a warning, and the barn had plenty of sharp things. I didn't go back up, until dawn. I was frozen stiff by that time. I've had years to think this over. It unnerves the crap out of me. How long was that thing there? Was that what was keeping the appy mare from coming down? Was it right there, in the shadows, while I was trying to catch her or was it in the unlit barn, I walked through, to get to the road? Was it the reason the appy swerved and nearly fell? How did my horses get out? I never did find how they got out. Did they panic and jump the fence? I did check the fence line, away from the woods. I did look for tracks, around the barrel. Sadly, the ground was hard, from frost that morning. But, I will say, the appy mare was running for a good while. The ground was severely torn up and turned into a muddy, mess, it was high noon when I went down there, to check, and the ground had melted. I'll bet it was her, that woke the neighbor up. It took them about a week, to fully settle. I don't know if whatever it was was still in the area or if they were that traumatized. It wasn't too long after that, my mother filed for divorce. My, ex-stepfather got the farm and I moved in with her, in the city. Even with all of the weird crap going on there, there were non-bipedal things going on too, I miss it terribly. Maybe it's more accurate to say, I miss the farm life rather than the actual place. I'd love to get back onto a farm again, but I'd probably hesitate to move back there. I never told anyone about the eyeshine event. I didn't see the actual creature and really, how do you convey that unnatural or horror-inducing feeling? You saw eyeshine, whoop-dee-doo. My mother would have given me the benefit of the doubt, but my mother often told family members things. They made my life enough of a living hell. I didn't want to give them more ammo. Hello, this is the story of how I quit my job. This isn't a liberating story of breaking the shackles and going to my dream job. This is a story of leaving a demonic place. I am a park ranger, it all goes back to one week ago. I was in my truck taking the usual route around the park until I saw a white van, it wasn't even on the trail. It was just sitting there in the middle of the forest. I called in a 10 to 92, illegally parked vehicle. Until my radio went off 10 to 4, permission to investigate. I exited my truck and walked toward the van. The environment was completely silent, except for my engine still running, and my footsteps which seemed ever so loud. I walked around the van, nothing seemed odd till I got to the other side of the van. I saw a black pentagram spray painted on the van. I started to notice that there were scuff marks and little blemishes here and there. I was walking back to my vehicle to call in tow when I heard a roar, it didn't sound like a bear. It sounded like something more demonic. I walked toward the source of the sound. I walked past the van and walked, flashlight in hand. I heard its violent cries again. I pulled my gun out and stood frozen, I heard footsteps zoom behind me. I turned around to see nothing. I blew a sigh of relief. 
knowing it was all probably in my head. I walked back to my car and called in a tow truck. I looked out into the forest, I noticed two red eyes staring back at me. I blinked and they were gone. I thought it had to be in my head, it had to. There's no such thing as monsters repeating in my brain like a broken record. Eventually the tow truck pulled up. The man got out and I got out of my car too. You look worse for wear, the tow man said. Lack of sleep I said, that was somewhat true, I was too embarrassed to say I was terrified. Eventually we hooked up the van and that was that. I got in my truck and drove off. That was the end of it, or that's what I thought. After getting a few complaints and other issues I started to relax again, the only thing that bothered me was I felt like I was being watched. Eventually I came up to a downed tree blocking the path. I checked my GPS and called in we have a 10 to 53 at J, 28 southeast. Then I heard 10 to 12, we are sending assistance. As I got out of my car I walked towards the fallen tree. I tried to push it to see if I could make some progress, while I waited for backup. It was useless. I kicked it in frustration. Then I heard it. Not again I thought. My heart was racing. Snap. I twig snapped and I instantly turned around. It was tall and muscular. I raised my flashlight and saw its face. Oh God. The face. It had long goat horns and the face of a goat, with dark red eyes. Those eyes. It had been following me. I was face to face with the goat man. I dropped my flashlight and ran with a gun in hand. I ran, but I could hear this thing getting closer. I knew it would catch me, so I turned around and fired off a few shots. That seemed to scare it. I looked and managed to get a headshot, yet I still stood. It looked at me and fled into the distance, I ignored the 10 to 53 and got into my car and drove off. I went to one of the ranger centers and reported it in, apparently there's been multiple reports. There have been multiple reports and they did nothing. I turned in my badge at that moment. I'm haunted by that thing, its eyes still appear in my nightmares. After six dead acted years of working there I quit. I regret it a bit but I hope I never see the goat man again. I was a marine on military installation. I don't know why, but me and two of my friends decided to stay there overnight as we were shuttled from the barracks. I do remember it was late, maybe after 1.32 am. One of my buddies, who had been out drinking but not excessively, we had been told not to go outside so we had to just walk around the inside but had no contact with any of the other marines. It was dark inside, so we were using our flashlights. I went to the bathroom, which was directly across from my room. When I came out and my buddies were not there, I began looking for them but they seemed gone. I knew it would be bad if they drank more and became belligerent. Suddenly, I saw a shadow move at the end of one hallway. Turning my light, I saw one of them hunkered down beside a trash can. He said he needed to go outside, he ate some food that didn't agree with him. He took off his pants and wiped himself with some paper towels. He was brains out. He cleaned himself up and walked toward me. Suddenly, he realized he had no clothes on. This happened at the trash can where I saw the shadow move about 40 feet away from me. 
Without saying anything to my friends who were caught with their pants down, I took off running toward the exit. As I got closer, I felt like somebody or something was following me. Fast footsteps behind me that sounded like they were wearing combat boots. How could anybody be walking around in boots that late at night? It made no sense. These heavy footfalls were definitely chasing after me now. I began screaming bloody murder as I ran around the corner and around another one. Triggering my friends who, triggering their flashlights, saw me running like a maniac through the hallways. I thought I was gonna die from fear, well maybe from fear and also from exhaustion. My two friends caught up with me when I finally stopped running. By this time, we had gotten separated from each other by about 100 or so yards. We didn't know where anything was, so we went back into our rooms and fell asleep. The next day, we were told that nobody else had gotten any sleep because of us making too much noise. Apparently, they heard us screaming but couldn't find us because it got real dark outside and due to lights being out ordered earlier that evening. We didn't tell anybody what had happened. It would have just gotten us into worse trouble. I think my friends said something to some of the other marines after we got back, but nobody else saw or heard anything. This is one of many terrifying experiences that I had during my time in the Marine Corps. I don't know if this is a ghost, demon, a bad dream, or what, but I do know what I saw and heard wasn't normal, and it definitely did not feel like an ordinary night. I'm sorry if this story is butchered, I'm a terrible writer, but I felt it important to get this story off my chest. Hopefully, you could wade through my bad storytelling. I crouched in the shadow of a decaying building, clutching my rifle as tightly as my trembling hands would allow. The air was thick with tension, and the taste of fear lingered on my tongue. It was the heart of the Bosnian War, and Sarajevo was a ghost town haunted by death and uncertainty. My perch offered a clear view of the desolation that stretched out before me, a fractured cityscape, ruined by the ravages of war. My Navy SEAL unit and I had become guardians of this battered city, the last remnants of a once proud army now reduced to a desperate few. We were snipers, tasked with watching over our besieged homeland picking off any Serbian threats that dared to venture too close to our lines. The nights were the worst, dark, silent, and fraught with the unseen. It was on one of these long, chilling nights that I first glimpsed the creature that would haunt my dreams for years to come. I was stationed on night watch duty, my scope trained on the eerie woods that bordered the city. The trees, stripped bare by winter's icy grip, appeared spectral in the moonlight. Then, I saw it, a shape that defied all logic and reason. Emerging from the shadows of the woods, the creature moved with a strange grace, both mesmerizing and terrifying. It was a quadruped, roughly the size of a horse, yet its appearance defied categorization. It resembled a grotesque fusion of bear, hyena, wolf, and panther, all melded together into a nightmarish form. Its snout was long, resembling that of a wolf or a pig, lined with teeth that gleamed in the faint moonlight. Its ears were small and rounded, lying close to its head, and its neck was a sinewy, powerful column. But what truly set it apart was its tail, a thick, muscular appendage resembling that of a panther, 
capable of knocking down men and animals with brutal force. My heart pounded in my chest as I watched the beast through my sniper scope. I could scarcely believe my eyes. Each of its feet confounded description. Some claimed it had cloven hooves, while others insisted that each digit was tipped with a hoof. Its claws, heavy and formidable, resembled hooves as well, and they glistened ominously in the moonlight. As I observed the creature with a mixture of terror and fascination, it suddenly let out a screech that chilled my bones. The sound was otherworldly, a haunting wail that seemed to echo with centuries of malevolence. Without warning, it bolted back into the woods, vanishing as quickly as it had appeared. I hesitated, torn between the urge to pursue this enigmatic beast and the knowledge that a Serbian sniper lurked nearby. The risk was too great, and I knew that duty demanded my attention be focused on our human adversaries. Reluctantly, I decided to remain hidden and vigilant. The remainder of that night dragged on, my mind consumed by the image of the creature. My comrades dismissed my account as the product of a fatigued imagination, but I knew what I had seen was real. That night marked the beginning of an obsession, a relentless pursuit to uncover the truth about the creature that had stalked the shadows of Sarajevo. In the years that followed, I returned to those woods, searching for any trace of the beast. I interviewed survivors and gathered accounts from those who claimed to have encountered it. Some believed it was a supernatural entity, a harbinger of death in a city already teetering on the brink of annihilation. But no matter how hard I searched, the creature remained elusive, a phantom of the night that defied explanation. It left me with haunting questions, a mystery that would forever remain unsolved. The Bosnian War eventually ended, and the scars of that brutal conflict began to heal. But for me, the memory of that night, and the enigma of the creature, lingered on, a testament to the horrors of war and the unexplained mysteries that sometimes emerge from its depths. I was just a young teenager living in Alabama in the year 2008 or 2009 when this peculiar and unsettling incident occurred. At the time, I resided with my grandmother and grandfather. I won't delve into the reasons why I lived with them, but it was during a period when we were preparing to move. Our attention was focused on sprucing up the yard, laying down new grass around the house. We had enlisted a few helpers, including my grandparents, to assist in this endeavor. Meanwhile, my younger brother and I took advantage of the situation to play in the street and explore our modest home. Our house, while not particularly large, had a cozy deck at the back, overlooking a small patch of woods. As the landscaping work continued, my brother and I frolicked in the street, reveling in the simplicity of our childhood. However, an inexplicable feeling began to gnaw at me, like something was amiss in the woods behind our house. It was as if an unseen presence lurked there, keeping a watchful eye on us, observing our every move. My senses sharpened, and I became increasingly aware of subtle cues from the woods, rustling leaves, swaying branches. Was it just the wind, or was there something more to it? Approximately 40 or 50 minutes passed in this disconcerting atmosphere. Eventually, Hunger and thirst pulled us back indoors, where we had a meal and enjoyed some much-needed respite. When we returned to play, the eerie feeling seemed to have subsided, 
and the sounds that had stirred my unease had fallen silent. The sensation was fleeting, and I brushed it aside, attributing it to childish paranoia. For the next ten minutes, my brother and I resumed our play. Then, out of the blue, my intuition once again went on high alert. This time, I stopped in my tracks and cast my gaze toward the woods. I sensed that something wasn't right, and curiosity, mixed with a tinge of fear, propelled me closer to the forest's edge. Standing there, on the verge of the woods, I strained my senses, but all was quiet. The rustling leaves and swaying branches had ceased. Whatever had stirred my anxiety seemed to have retreated, leaving me with an eerie stillness. Uncertain and hesitant, I couldn't bring myself to venture deeper into the woods. I simply turned away, deciding it was best to steer clear of the area. The unsettling episode had concluded, for the time being. The following day, we found ourselves nearing the completion of our yard work. The setting sun cast long shadows as it dipped below the horizon. My family was immersed in the final stages of our preparations, and I had momentarily forgotten about my disquieting experience near the woods. As my brother and I resumed our play, I strolled behind the house, oblivious to the sense of... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Foreboding that had gripped me before. Then, it happened, a chilling encounter that would forever haunt my memories. As I stood behind the house, an overwhelming sense of being watched washed over me. I slowly turned to my right and was met with a sight that defied logic and sent shivers down my spine. There, lying on the ground, was a massive, grotesque creature, resembling a werewolf or an upright, canine-like being. Its eyes, yellow and piercing, bore into me with an intensity that sent fear coursing through my veins. I remained rooted to the spot, paralyzed by terror, as I locked eyes with this nightmarish entity. Several seconds passed in eerie silence, during which time felt both elongated and compressed. My heart raced, and my mind reeled, struggling to comprehend the impossible sight before me. Then, with the swiftness of a nightmare, I turned and bolted from the scene, sprinting toward the front of the house. Gasping for breath, I stumbled into the presence of my grandparents, breathless and terror-stricken. Frantically, I tried to convey what I had just witnessed, a monstrous creature with yellow eyes lurking behind our home. My voice trembled with fear as I recounted the nightmarish encounter, but to my dismay, neither of my grandparents believed my story. They dismissed my account as a product of an overactive imagination or, perhaps, a harmless illusion. Their indifference left me feeling vulnerable and alone, haunted by the vivid image of that grotesque figure. As they encouraged me to return to my play, I couldn't help but wonder if my experience was real or merely a trick of my young mind. Days turned into weeks, and the memory of that nightmarish encounter remained etched in my psyche. The enigmatic presence in those woods continued to perplex me, 
leaving me with lingering doubts and a deep-seated unease. To this day, I still grapple with unanswered questions, what was that creature? Was it real, or had my youthful imagination played a cruel trick on me? Before we moved away from that place, I couldn't shake the feeling that those woods held secrets far beyond our comprehension. Even after we departed, I often found myself reminiscing about the distant sounds and fleeting glimpses I had encountered there. The woods concealed their mysteries well, leaving me with a sense of unease and an enduring fascination with the unexplained. Back in the summer of 2020, I was traveling with my partner to Boise, Idaho from Colorado to visit his family and stay for a camping trip. This trek is nearly 15 hours long and while you can do it in a day, it's better if you stop to rest. Having lived in Utah at one point in time, I was very eager to show him the natural hot springs in Spanish Fork. They are located deep in Diamond Fork Canyon and require a 45-minute hike from the parking lot. Still, we were both excited to get out and moving after seven hours in the car. When we arrived at the first parking lot however, the gate was shut and locked tight. A sign taped to the metal reed closed. Absolutely no access to hot springs. Fines $2,000 max or something to that nature. We were bummed. COVID had shut down many things and we figured that this was outside so there's no way it was going to be closed. After some research on the government website, we discovered that a body had possibly been found in the springs and was likely the cause for the locked gate. Sad and tired of sitting in the car, we drove back down the canyon road to find a spot to camp for the night. Most of the more established campsites were closed due to COVID or were already taken for the night. This was fine since we prefer more dispersed camping anyway. So we picked a random road to turn on as we drove closer to exiting the canyon. Road 338. Most of the road was a well-kept dirt road. We passed some promising spots near a creek and maybe two or three other people already set up for the night. We wanted to go a little further to see if there was anything with that wow factor. Sounds funny but some sites give off that this is the one. Feeling. Finally we came to a dead end in the main road with a fire mitigation road to the right. At this very spot there was a strange boulder with some type of inscription on it, partially surrounded by a wooden fence. I had to investigate. The inscription read Diamond Battle June 20, 1866. No way. A memorial for a battle that happened right here. A feeling of uneasiness and oddly, respect, washed over me. After traveling up the fire road and not finding what we were hoping for in a campsite, we decided to pick a spot by the small creek we passed on the way in. It was getting dark quickly but we set up our tent in no time at all and got a fire going. The creek was loud but peaceful. Though, ever since I read that inscription, I couldn't shake this strange feeling. I'm not a paranoid person but I kept feeling on the edge of my seat. Like something was watching us from the woods just across the water. As the night grew darker, this feeling grew stronger. I decided I didn't want to be in the open anymore and retreated to the tent to get some rest while my partner stayed up to enjoy the fire. I snuggled into our sleeping bag and exhaled comfortably, listening to the creek that was now much quieter and was a bit further from the tent. I started to drift off when I heard it. 
Soft chanting. Rhythmic drums. My eyes shot open. Was I really hearing that? I strained my ears to listen over the running water. I couldn't quite get a clear sound but it was definitely there. This is when I noticed the ground was also rumbling. As if horses were stampeding down the road, 100 feet from our sight. I didn't know if I should get out to tell my partner but I had the strange feeling that if I said it out loud it would make it more true and that an army of spirits would spring from the trees and into our campsite. Before I could make the decision I was dead asleep. This was somehow the most peaceful slumber I have ever had. The next morning, we packed up our tent and left no trace that we had ever spent the night by Little Diamond Creek. When I finally entered cell service, I did a Google search of that memorial in Diamond Fork, Utah. It turns out there was a battle there between the Utes and the Mormon militia and lives were lost on that mountainside. After reading this, I decided to tell my partner what I heard last night before falling asleep. I told him about the chanting and the drumming and even the stomping of horses. He looked at me in disbelief and said he heard the exact same thing. I guess I was only in the tent 10 minutes before he got spooked standing alone by the fire, hearing this distant chanting and drums. He came into the tent and experienced that same peaceful sleep I had. I feel as though we were being watched over by those Native Americans that lost their lives there. A strong but calm and protective presence. If you're ever on Diamond Fork Road, I hope you visit and pay respects to the memorial of the diamond battle and maybe the spirits of the land will watch over you too. I've been thinking about this for years and I am still baffled. When I was a child, maybe 11, I lived near the river in Pukiski County on very private land. One road, no walkthroughs, fenced off. Behind our property was river and we could walk to it but anyone trying to access the property would have to boat or swim in, stumble through the woods, stumble through a large garden we had and a larger yard with huge floodlights that were motion sensing. In front of the house was more dense woods and our private road, one way in, one out, more porch lights and at the end of that road was a steel gate. So I was maybe 9 or 10 and I wanted to catch fireflies. My mom said okay, gave me a mason jar and I went to leave and told my mom I was turning off the front porch light to see them better. She said it was okay, but not to go to the tree line. So I was out there for six or seven fireflies worth when I started to see something odd. There was a strange light hanging in between some trees. Did not move, did not turn, shake, rotate. Nothing. I stared at it for a while fascinated and scared but trying to puzzle out what it was. It appeared to be a ball and not a beam, and was definitely well defined. I was starting to get past my fascination and I was getting scared. Then another appeared further in the trees maybe 5 feet further back. They were literally just hanging there in the air. Single balls of light, clearly defined. I decided enough was enough and ran to the house. My parents said I was hysterical enough to warrant a rifle search of the property and my mom called the police who came out. No one found anything. No evidence of a fire, lanterns hung in trees as a joke. Nothing. I already knew it was neither but I hoped someone would figure it out. I was in deep shit with my dad who told me I was making up nonsense and I got the belt and was put on a diet of stacking wood for the winter my dad was splitting, 
housework, etc. Anyone have an idea what this might have been? The other night my sister and I were riding to our friends in our golf cart. She was driving, I was on the passenger seat. As we neared a stretch of woods I looked over to the woods, in my mind I assumed it was a deer within 0.1 seconds, yet this was no deer. I literally screamed, out of fear without realizing, as something on all fours, that looked like a human on all fours, but wasn't, ran into the woods. This thing was white, and looked like a human running on all fours, but much faster and not human, if that makes sense. Later that night we were parked by our friends and I believe something was watching us, as we kept hearing sticks snapping and cracking from the woods, and I felt weirded out. Well once again that's not the end, today in my car I drove by the woods and right in the exact spot where this creature began to run or crawl into the woods, there was a balloon floating there. WTF I don't know if that can be a coincidence. I'm not entirely sure what the creature was, I've read people suggesting anywhere from a skinwalker to a crawler. As a child or young teen, I lived a very strange situation in the woods. I am not sure if this encounter may have been some kind of entity, or perhaps something different. I hope someone can give me more information about what happened to me and my friend. I, female, was around 12 years old at the time and one of my best friends, let's call him Alex, must have been 10. Alex's father had purchased a large amount of forested land around 100 km away from the city we lived in, Montreal, Canada. It was all forest when Alex's family acquired it. They cleared a little patch to build a house, and the rest was pure, unadulterated forest. Their land was cut in two by a dirt road that, if you followed it for several kilometers, led to a few houses. And their land was very different depending on which side of the dirt road you looked. On the right side, where their house was, the forest was light and luminous, or at least it felt that way. It was not too dense, with little rolling hills. A lovely place to play. On the left side of the road, though it was another story. First, there was a deep ditch, perhaps two meters deep, which then became a quite high and steep hill. Weirdly enough, all along the long road, the ditch was full of car parts. A set of car wheels here, a door there, a steering wheel way over there, all old and overgrown with moss. And over the steep hill, the forest gave off a really bad vibe. It had lots of very tall, dark coniferous trees, with almost black trunks, and the place seemed somehow devoid of light or life. Climbing the hill, which we seldom were willing to do because of the creeps it gave us, there was some sort of swamp there. When we were there, there was this strange pressure, we sensed a kind of animal instinct that told us to leave this place. The strange atmosphere was spontaneously obvious to both me and Alex, and we playfully called that side of the road Demon's Forest. One weekend day, probably in 2001 or 2002, my family and I came to visit Alex's family. Bored by the adults, my friend and I decided to go and play in the forest. Alex's father told us to watch out, there was an animal that had been rummaging in their trash bin and causing other nuisances. He said it was a dog that looked somewhat like a Rottweiler that surely belonged to someone living up the dirt road, 
He warned us that we shouldn't interact with the dog if we saw it, as it didn't look healthy, as far as he could tell, or something was weird about it. He said it somehow looked diseased or contagious, or had patches of fur missing, can't remember exactly. And so we set out on our walk. It was autumn and the leaves were pretty and golden, many having already fallen to the ground, it was a calm, slightly overcast windless day. The air was very still and calm. Alex and I decided to walk along the dirt road, with the pleasant section of the forest to our right, and Demon's forest to our left. We chatted while following the road as it was rising up a slope. As usual, we were slightly creeped out going up the road because of the weird vibes of the forest to the left side, but we were challenging ourselves to be brave and trying to not really think about how unsettling it felt. A good distance away from their home, when it was already well out of sight, I noticed the first strange thing of the day. Out of the steep hill on left side of the road, there was a very large and dark pine tree hanging over the road. Somebody had attached a pink ribbon to one of the branches, which was already strange, since this was the territory of Alex's family, and they had no daughters, or other little girls likely to hang around, or other people who may be owners of pink ribbons who were likely to hang out on this deserted road. The strange thing was, the ribbon was flailing strongly in the wind, its loose ends were flapping almost horizontally. The thing is, it was a completely windless day. There was no wind to speak of. The ribbon was within my reach, so I even touched it as it was flailing. I even licked my finger and held it in the air to check if I could feel any wind or air current at all, as my dad had taught me. The air was perfectly still. Yet the ribbon failed. I mentioned it to my friend. He seemed distracted and was younger than me and sometimes didn't catch on to what I said, so I didn't press the matter. We continued our climb. We reached a place where the hill on the left side of the road had a gentler slope and began further away from the road. In fact, it looked as if the hill was kind of carved out in a way that would have made it easy for us to climb to get into Demon's Forest. It almost seemed as if the hill was carved in a sloping half-circle, like in a theater, and the road we stood on would have been the stage. It gave us a very clear, treeless view of the hillside, full of golden and red fallen leaves. The trees began at the top of the hill, maybe 9 meters higher. We stopped to admire the view, Canadian autumns are a sight to behold. Alex suddenly got really excited. He thought he heard something in the demon woods up the hill and he really wanted me to pay attention. He explained that there are wild cats in that forest, they had spotted them with his dad. One of them had reportedly had kittens, kittens being one of the most exciting things in the world for kids our age, getting us all riled up. But somehow, my hackles were up and I could really relax, even thinking about adorable wild kittens. He actually thought he had heard the cat meow in the forest, up the hill, close by. I heard nothing of the sort and thought he was inventing it, he vehemently suggested that we try meowing at it to see if it would respond, maybe it would even bring its kittens along and we could see them and play with them, he said. I hadn't heard any sounds at all and didn't really like his idea of screaming meows into the creepy forest. What kind of wild cat would respond to human children, anyway? Wouldn't it be obvious that we are not cats by the sound of us? That seemed like a dumb idea to me. Before I could try to talk him out of it, he loudly meowed into the forest. 
To my utter shock, the forest meowed back. Alex was delighted. He meowed again. Something in the forest answered again. I was actually shocked, this didn't make sense to me. And it creeped me out. But I suspended my disbelief to see what would happen. He kept doing meowing over and over, for every one of his meows, there was one coming back in response from the woods. Something felt off to me. Feral or wild animals didn't behave that way, even at 12 years old I realized that. And it wasn't an echo, the cat did not bounce back any sound that we threw at it except meows, which it reciprocated immediately, and anyway, there were no hard rocky surfaces around off of which sound could bounce off, everything was covered in a soft layer of sound dulling leaves. Alex got even more excited, listen. The cat is coming towards us, she's coming to see us with her kittens. To my surprise, he was right. There was a rustle of dead leaves coming from above us, from above the slope in the creepy forest. It seemed like the rustling was getting closer to us. But it was way off. Because cats are small and light, and careful with their steps. They don't make a ruckus when they walk through the woods. But here, the rustling leaves sound was extremely obvious, along with the meowing. And in fact, it sounded more like steps. Like someone with two legs walking in the leaves. And it was getting closer to us. My alarm signals were starting to go off with the wrongness of it all, while my younger friend was oblivious. He was calling it more vehemently, noticing that it was coming towards us. Then I realized what seemed so wrong, the sound was coming towards us. But there was nothing to be seen. Right in front of us we had the gently sloping hill, treeless and clearly visible. Anything coming from the forest should have been plainly exposed to view. There was nothing. No source for the rustling sound, nothing moving. Oh her kittens are joining her. Listen, there are more sounds. They're coming to play with us. He was right. The walking sound seemed to have multiplied and now came from various directions at once. Ever getting closer, with nothing being visible. Something was way off, I wanted to leave. But Alex was getting mad at me, the kittens were almost here and he wanted to see them, he insisted. At this point as was extremely tense and fight or flight was activating from the wrongness of it all. We were alone and quite exposed on this theater stage too. Whatever was getting closer to us, which was, more and more obviously with every moment, decidedly not kittens. I was on the verge to force him go run home. And then, suddenly, I heard a very loud panting sound. Right at my feet. During the first millisecond, I got only mildly surprised, we had a huge husky at home. I was used to it panting next to my feet. But then, a sense of profound dread downed on me as I realized that, obviously, my dog was not here. And it must be another dog, a very big one by the sound of it right at my feet. I panickingly looked down, ready to jump away from the dog that somehow got extremely close to me, almost on me, without my noticing. Only there is absolutely nothing at my feet. But I still hear the loud, breathy panting sound coming from there. I whirl around, all 360 degrees, screaming. Where is it coming from? There is nothing at my feet, or anywhere around me. There is nothing there. Yet the sound is clearly there. As I whirl about in a frenzy, 
I look up the dirt road we are following. Around 100 meters away, of the top of the slope, I see a lone dog standing. It looks somewhat similar to a Rottweiler, but in very, very bad shape. Extremely unkempt, with patches of fur missing, shaggy and dirty as heck, with some skin exposed where the fur is missing. It looks down at us, too. Obviously, there is no way that I could hear it panting at that distance, and the source of the sound is at my feet. At that point, the flight instinct wins in Simi me. I have never run as desperately and as fast in my whole life, thank goodness it was all downhill. Alex kept pace right beside me, terrified. We made it home in one piece. We didn't walk in these woods anymore. I came back to Alex's place several times in my life. I never wanted to walk in the woods again. We had amazing parties at his house as teens. I was often there rather drunk and having a great time. But I always had this very stressful sensation when I went out of his house, especially at night. When I slept over there, I had these extremely strange experiences where, when I woke up, I sensed as if something was there and was observing me. In my mid-awake state, I even saw something floating near the ceiling. It had the sensation tie it was not an immediate threat, though, it was observing. I am not sure tie whatever this is was related to what happened on the dirt road. We never discussed what happened that day. As I researched it now, I see that this land is historically Algonquin land. Though one source seemed to say Mohawk, if anybody can help clarify what happened, I would be thankful. The year was 2010 when the inexplicable events began to unfold, setting the stage for a series of bizarre occurrences that would forever change my perspective on the world around me. It all revolved around my best friend, who lived on the outskirts of a quaint, small community, nestled amidst dense woods and brush. His home was a sanctuary of seclusion, surrounded by private property, with the nearest neighbors located a quarter of a mile away in both directions. It was an idyllic place, offering the solitude and serenity that most people only dream of. Little did we know, the tranquility of those woods concealed secrets that defied explanation. It was a crisp autumn evening when the first hint of strangeness manifested itself. My best friend and his girlfriend had decided to have a picnic in his front yard, savoring the cool evening air and each other's company. As they enjoyed their meal, he took a bite of an apple, only to find it far too sour for his taste. Nonchalantly, he tossed the partially eaten apple into his front yard, assuming that some hungry critter would eventually find it and make a meal of it. In the grand scheme of things, it was just one apple, a small, inconsequential act. The next morning, he ventured into his yard to retrieve the forgotten apple. To his surprise, it was nowhere to be found. At the time, he attributed its disappearance to some ravenous woodland creature, nothing more. After all, he often left food out for deer and other wildlife to enjoy, and the idea that an apple had gone missing seemed inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. About a week passed, and life carried on as usual. My friend came home from work one evening, expecting nothing out of the ordinary. But as he approached his porch, he was met with a sight that would send shivers down his spine. A dead fox lay lifeless on his doorstep, 
its eyes grotesquely bulging from their sockets. It was a horrifying sight, the animal appeared to have been strangled to death. Panic and confusion overwhelmed him as he struggled to comprehend the grisly tableau that lay before him. He couldn't help but wonder if someone was playing a macabre prank, toying with his sanity. And then, to his astonishment and dread, he spotted the familiar apple, the very one he had thrown into the yard, with one bite taken out of it. It was a grotesque and unsettling tableau. Fear and paranoia gripped him, but he couldn't bring himself to report the incident to the authorities. Instead, he chose to wait, believing that if this was the work of a prankster, they would eventually grow bored and move on. As weeks turned into months, he found some semblance of normalcy, and the bizarre incident faded into the recesses of his memory. The onset of spring brought a renewal of hope and the promise of warmer days. My best friend and his girlfriend decided to enjoy a pleasant evening indoors, sharing a meal within the comforts of his home. Little did they know that this tranquil evening would soon descend into a nightmarish encounter that defied all reason. It was his girlfriend who first spotted it, a colossal, dark figure standing in the front yard, roughly 50 feet away. Her piercing scream shattered the evening's tranquility, sending him rushing to the door in a frenzied panic. Swinging the door open, he was met with a sight that would haunt his dreams for years to come. Before him stood an enormous, enigmatic creature, a black mass, towering at a height of about five to six feet. The fading twilight obscured the creature's features, leaving it shrouded in shadow. But what seized his attention was the object in its hand, a lifeless raccoon, its size and grotesque appearance sending chills down his spine. In that moment, his gaze locked onto the creature's eyes, or at least, where its eyes should have been. He couldn't make out any definitive features or distinct facial characteristics, but the sensation that it was staring directly at him was undeniable. Panic coursed through his veins as he felt the creature's gaze bore into his very soul. Suddenly, as if aware of his presence, the creature darted behind a nearby tree, disappearing from view. My best friend was left standing there, trembling and bewildered, struggling to process the unfathomable encounter that had just unfolded before him. His gut told him what he had seen, what had appeared in his front yard, was none other than a Sasquatch, a creature of legend and myth. Over the next couple of days, he mulled over the experience, convinced that this elusive creature was the same entity responsible for the fox's gruesome demise and the peculiar apple incidents from the previous autumn. Strangely, the mysterious visitor had not reappeared or engaged in any further activity around his home, leaving him in a state of perpetual uncertainty. The years have since passed, but the memory of that chilling encounter continues to linger, an enigma forever etched into the annals of our shared history. Though time has provided some distance from that harrowing night, the unanswered questions persist, haunting my friend and serving as a constant reminder of the inexplicable and the unknown that lurk just beyond the threshold of our comprehension. I don't know if this is the right place to put this so please guide me if I'm wrong. My brother had a paranormal experience he doesn't even remember. A few years ago, my younger brother, 16 at the time, had come complaining of feeling very ill. He was a grayish color, sweating and complaining of pains in his stomach. My mum put him to bed. 
The next day he was worse. She called the doctor who told her to put him on an antibiotic and he would be fine. If it persisted, the doctor said not to bring him until the following day. My mum was told not to bring him to the hospital. However, after two hours, when he wasn't perking up she went against those suggestions and took him to our local hospital. Upon his arrival there, they quickly linked him up with morphine and rushed him to the city hospital, bigger, quicker etc. They were told his appendix had burst and if my parents had waited a few hours more, he would have died in his sleep. My brother was quickly rushed into an emergency surgery which lasted around 4-5 to five hours. Now to the paranormal part. My mother is convinced my brother had died during this operation. For what duration she's unsure, but to this day she is convinced. When he had woken up, he was obviously very high on morphine. And what he had said chilled my parents to the bone. He had told them he had talked to my grandparents. Both of which sat in a white room on chairs, with an empty one next to them. He had went to sit but Granda told me that I wasn't allowed to sit there yet. My brother and I had never met my grandfather, he had died some six years before I had been born and all we had of him was a single picture that hung above our parents' fireplace. Needless to say, my mum had fallen to her knees in hysterics. To this day, he doesn't remember this happening. He doesn't even believe in ghosts. But that day, he was able to speak of it so easily, so naturally. My grandparents were with him on that table and they made sure he came back to us. Last night, I was making myself something to eat, and when the oven timer went off, I went into the kitchen to take the cinnamon rolls out of the oven. As I was about to set them down on the counter, I heard my cat come up behind me, making her unique I want some, two noise. She never made the meow sound that most cats make, she had her own language, and this was a distinct sound she used when she wanted me to give her food. Every time I went into the kitchen to grab something to eat or had something delivered, she could always tell and would make sure to let me know she was interested. I always shared whatever I had, so it reinforced the behavior. No big deal. So when she approached me last night and indicated that she wanted some, saying it twice, I turned around to say, hang on a second. I live alone, and talking to the cat is one of the least weird things about me, as I turned around, I knew there was no way I was going to see her behind me, and, of course, she wasn't there. The thing is, I had to put her to sleep exactly one month and one day ago. She was about 20 years old and had suddenly gotten very sick, signaling it was her time to go. I was pretty sure I had seen her dart around a corner or something. She was all black kind of on the smaller side, and had shorter legs. So, I just assumed my mind was playing tricks on me and ignored it. Last night, I know what I heard, and I heard it twice. There was no mistaking it, and I don't doubt it was some kind of something, even if just residual energy. My other cat, who passed away about three years ago, also seemed to visit me on occasion. I could feel her sitting at my feet or behind my back, her favorite places to be.